Unprepared to engage Mormon missionaries when they knock on your door? Perhaps the book Mormonism 101 will help. Mormonism 101, published by Baker Book. Available at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We continue our look at a talk given by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. It was a devotional message to young adults on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University, entitled, What is the Blueprint of Christ Church? Yesterday, we were looking at Tad Callister's proof text to support the LDS notion that being baptized in water was necessary in order to be justified in the eyes of God. He's going to continue that thought and carry it on over into the Mormon doctrine of baptism for the dead. And if you'd like to see what Callister has said, we actually have this on our website, mrm.org, slash blueprint church with a hyphen between. Not only do we have Callister's talk, but we have a lot of the things that we're discussing on these radio shows to help you better understand how to answer these things. And so this is what Callister says. Once someone crosses the doctrinal bridge and acknowledges that baptism is essential for salvation, which it is, then logically he is led to believe in baptism for the dead. There is no escaping it. Now let me stop you there because when he says, which it is, well, we would argue, no, it's not. That there is no place in the New Testament where it says that you are justified by being baptized in water. Over and over again, it's emphasized that our justification is in our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that is important. You can't ignore that, but you have to understand. Now, Callister has this notion that you must be baptized in water, that somehow the work of baptism, a righteous work, by the way, and as we mentioned yesterday, Paul makes it clear that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Mercy has to be unmerited. If it's merited, then it's no longer mercy. That cannot be overlooked, but unfortunately it is within the context of Mormonism. And let me give you a couple of passages to support what you're saying there, Bill. In Acts chapter 16, this is the story of the Philippian jailer after the earthquake released Paul. And in verse 30, the jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is what Paul says in verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, baptism does take place in verse 33. It says uh, immediately he and all his family were baptized. This is talking about the Philippian jailer. But it's that belief is what saves him. And we see this all the way through the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith. Romans 10, 9, and 10, believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and so on and so forth. We have so many passages over and over again that talk about faith. And I think one thing that needs to be emphasized is in the early church, and we would agree with this, there was really no such thing as a non-baptized believer. 
Now, for some reason, I think in a 21st century context, maybe we don't take that as seriously as we should. But if you don't feel that something like that is salvific, there is no real reason once you profess a faith in Christ, which makes you justified, to run out and go get dunked in water. Certainly, I think a Christian who has professed faith in Christ should do that eventually, but the justification is in the faith they have and what Jesus did for them, not in any personal action that they might take. I think it needs to be stressed that baptism is something that an individual must get up and do, which makes it a work. A righteous work? Yes, I would argue, yes, you're right. It is a righteous work. But as Paul said, and as we keep pointing out in Titus 3.5, it's not by righteous works that we are saved. Let me give you one more passage that I think is very powerful. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. And this is the passage that talks about the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles, or you can call it the Gentile Pentecost, if you will. This is what it says in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. All those is referring to the Gentiles. And verse 45 says, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. The Jews are of the circumcision. They were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Would you say this is a case of people who have the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, absolutely. But notice the next verse, verse 47. Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And I think this is a good case to show that the Holy Spirit comes into somebody, the baptism will follow. They didn't have to get baptized in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he uses this premise that if you believe that baptism is essential for salvation, then logically you're going to believe in baptism for the dead. And he says this, Otherwise, how does one answer the difficult question, quote, What about those who died without the opportunity to be baptized? End quote. Those confronted with this question have four possible options from which to choose. The first, men and women who have not been baptized will be damned and go to hell. Such an answer, however, is inconsistent with the scriptural truths that, quote, God is no respecter of persons, end quote. That's from Acts 10.34. And that God desires, quote, all men to be saved, end quote. And that comes from 1 Timothy 2.4. First of all, let's look at Acts 10.34, because I, I don't really see the connection by saying that God is no respecter of persons, as if somehow that is talking about a universalism that everybody is going to be saved. And that's how Tad Callister seems to be taking 1 Timothy 2.4. First of all, Acts 10.34, what does that say? It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now, the context of Acts 10.34 is naturally saying that when it says God is no respecter of persons, it's bringing out the fact that salvation didn't just belong to the Jews. Remember, Paul, as well as John, 
And when you hear the phrase, for God so loved the world, what are they bringing out when statements like this are being said? They're signifying that salvation was not confined just to the borders of Israel or not even confined among the people of Israel. That salvation was going to go beyond Israel and was going to go beyond the Israelite people. And those words that Peter said, he is Lord of all, is not referring to everybody's a believer, but rather referring to both Jews and Gentiles. That's the context. So Callister, I think, is making a mistake when he's trying to put this within the context of those who were baptized and those who were not. But then we have 1 Timothy 2.4. In 1 Timothy 2.4, let me start with verse 3. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Callister is giving the impression that salvation is going to come to all people. If that was really teaching a type of universalism, then why all the other verses that talk about impending judgment upon those who don't trust in Christ as their Savior? That would seem to make no sense. So we have to understand, well, what is desires all men? Well, if you go back up to verse 1, what does Paul teach? He says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and reverence. I think the context of what's being said here is, look, we pray for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. In other words, we're praying for the salvation of all types of people. Not only those that are high and elevated, such as kings, but even the lowly person we should be praying for, all kinds of people. God desires all kinds of people to be saved. But to say that he desires every single person to be saved, I think again misses the point that there are going to be many who are going to be judged and judged guilty because they are judged according to their works and their works will not withstand the holiness of God. Let's make sure we're straight up that there is going to be a resurrection for all people. But according to John 5:29, there's a resurrection of life. And for those who have done evil, there's a resurrection of condemnation or judgment. So just because everybody's going to receive a resurrection doesn't mean that everybody's going to have some type of eternal life. And we have to understand in Mormonism, eternal life is equated with exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Very few people are going to be able to get that honor. Only those who have, have been able to do everything they're supposed to do and endure to the end will actually get that. But according to 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith, if you get anything less than the top level of the celestial kingdom, it's sort of like hell. This is what he said in Answers to Gospel Questions, Volume 2, page 210. He said, the earth will become a celestial kingdom when it is sanctified. Those who enter the terrestrial kingdom will have to go to some other sphere, which will be prepared for them. Those who enter the celestial kingdom, likewise, will have to go to some earth, which is prepared for them. And there will be another place, which is hell, where the devil and those who are punished to go with him will dwell. Of course, those who enter the celestial kingdom and those who enter the terrestrial kingdom will have the eternal punishment which will come to them in knowing that they might, if they had kept the commandments of the Lord, have returned to his presence as his sons and daughters. This will be a torment to them, and in that sense, it will be hell. 
what he is saying is most people are going to be judged by being separated from the celestial kingdom where the presence of God the Father is going to be, never having the opportunity to dwell with him. So it sounds to me like when he cites, when Callister cites 1 Timothy 2.4, implying that all men are going to be saved, even within the context of Mormonism, there seems to be a true salvation as opposed to a maybe not quite as good salvation. See, I don't see that in the Bible. I see it in Mormonism, but I don't see it in the Bible. To Callister, there's only one option that is really tenable. And that is, he says, God really meant what he said when he commanded all men to be baptized. And because of this, he mercifully provided a way for all men to be baptized, even if no opportunity arose in mortal life. That is baptism for the dead, he says. That is the option consistent with the blueprint. Here's where I would object. And people who have listened to this show for any amount of time know that I've used this example in the past. The problem with baptism for the dead is there really is no element of faith involved. Over and over in the New Testament, we find that we are justified or made right with God because of our faith in what Jesus did for us. What kind of faith is involved in baptism for the dead? I've given this example many times, that even for a person as myself, as critical as I am of Mormonism— If I was to die and all of a sudden find myself in the Mormon version of spirit prison, and all of a sudden I'm visited by, let's say, two spirit missionaries telling me that they represent the restored church, the church that was founded by Joseph Smith, even I would have to admit at that point that I was wrong. Now, what element of faith would there be for me at that time? to embrace this message that they have for me because of somebody being baptized for me vicariously on earth. There would be no faith at all. It would make perfect sense that I've made a mistake and I better go along with it, even though I might disagree with it. It still would be a pragmatic decision and not really a decision based on any amount of faith. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.